Welcome everyone to the Simon Dan podcast, the place where science and conspiracy collide. I told myself I was going to do that a little less enthusiastic because normally every week I'm like, welcome, welcome to the Simon Dan podcast. I tried to turn it down a bit today. Hope you're well. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, again, he is here again. My Everlord co-host, he once thought that a meteor shower was standing under a never-ending stream of quarter pounders. It's Cats. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing I'm, no jingle this week, mate. Oh yeah, no sorry. Jingle. Do you know what? That's all I call for, my jingle. Do you know, I, I've been. T- do you know what? Last week, so last week where we messed up on the on the on the music for the game, it was there the whole time, and I pressed seven buttons out of eight, and the one I didn't press was the music that we were supposed to use, and I thought I'd messed up the thing. So I, it's just, my head's gone with the with the with the buttons. So. Yeah. How you doing, mate? Anyway, you right? Yeah, I'm really good. Really, really good. Really looking forward to this one tonight. Really yeah. looking forward to it. Yeah. So before um, before yeah. we get into it, you've had a bit of a, a, a run in with with the, the flat earth and Nathan, haven't you? With a, a debate. Do you want to tell about that? Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, for those people who uh, I think most people listening know who Nathan O'Clear is, but uh, he he's a man who uh, tells porky pies on the internet um, about the earth being flat and takes money off people for yes. doing it and and educates them in his own sort of uh, pseudoscience. I suppose, which which yeah. uh, links to tonight's podcast. Um, so he was contacted by a guy out of New Zealand whose podcast is hosted by a website. It's like the main news website in New Zealand, gets over a million hits a day, and his podcast is hosted on there. And uh, and he said, do you want to come on and if I can get a science scientist to come on and actually debate you about the flat earth, you know, so you can show your ideas, would you, uh, would you do it? Uh, he said, Jay, yeah, jumped to it. He replied within 10 minutes and said, I'm, I'm all in. And then I was the next person to get the email saying, yeah. oh, this, this guy, Nathan Oakley, I believe you know him, um, is, has agreed to the debate. Will you do it? Um, and then, funnily enough, um, the answer was no, he doesn't want to do it anymore. He, he pulled out when he found out it was you, didn't he? But this he guy, he found out me, yeah. he, he's quite big in New Zealand, isn't he? He's done a lot of TV work and... and- he, he in the past he was um, I forget the name of the radio station. Yeah, it was a big uh, so radio station in New Zealand. Zealand. Yeah. yeah, he was yeah. like a national radio yeah. presenter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's got got a lot of history. It was so interesting. Stuff. It was so interesting because obviously this Nathan uh, is is awful on his show and he he always he never back he says he never backs up backs out of debates. Come and debate me if you want. And then it just made me laugh. The second he found out it was you, he, he's he's tucked his tail and he's ran. It, it's it was it was brilliant brilliant to hear. Um, Anyway, should we get our guest on? Let's do it. Cool. So joining us this week is podcaster, author, presenter, journalist, and general science communicator. There's not much more we can attribute to our skill set. I think it's Cara Santa Maria. Welcome and thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Hey guys. You are you right? I'm great. I'm you know I'm alive. You're alive. <laughs> Hanging yeah. in there. We're all doing well, aren't we? We're all quite a time. We're all yeah. I think uh, just to be here now and 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 chatting and laughing is is a bonus. I think. Yeah. Um, so let's start from the beginning because before all of your science communication stuff, you had what some people would call a real job. Uh, tell us about how you got your start in science. I had a real job. I'm like, when was that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, I worked at a head shop when I was 16. I remember oh, cool. that. Do you guys use that phrase, head shop? Head shop. Do you know what that is? Like a hairdresser's. No, yeah. that's like a head shop in the US is like where they sell bongs. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> like drug paraphernalia. <laughs> We call that, what do we call that, cats, over here? A bong shop? 
I don't, I don't know. know. We, we, I don't think with well, because in a lot of states in the U.S., marijuana is still illegal, so we uh, wouldn't call it a bong shop because okay. a bong is illegal. Okay. So they call them water pipes, and they say they're for tobacco use only. Oh, I see. Whatever. Well, it's, anyway. a, it's illegal here as well, I think. And uh, oh, you're right. We just yeah, don't in care. California, People... we're just we blew past that. <laughs> yeah. So, but I grew up in Texas. Okay. Um, grew up in Texas. Kind of did the standard. You know, went to school. Was having fun with my friends. Flunking out of classes, not knowing what I wanted to focus on. Honestly, studied psychology because it sounded easy. I, I started as a as a vocal jazz major. I was a singer all nice. through high school, and um, very quickly realized that all of the piano and theory classes sucked all the fun out of music for me. And so, yeah, I just honestly, I, I stumbled into psychology. I thought it would be an easy major, and in psychology, I discovered my love for for neuroscience and neurobiology. Decided to stick around, got a master's in neuroscience, started a PhD ended up kind of through a lot of twists and turns in life, getting the opportunity to do some public communication because I had been teaching quite a lot and actually left my PhD that was in New York City to come out to LA. While I was in LA, I got um, I got some jobs on air and decided to kind of ride that wave for a while, knowing that it would probably dry up eventually. But I've been very lucky in that it's really made a career for me. Yeah. But ultimately, I did decide I wanted to go back to school. And so four years ago now, um, more than four years ago, I went back to start to restart a PhD, this time in clinical psychology. So I'm starting my fifth year of the PhD program now, finished with all my coursework, nice. um, finishing up my my clinical hours. And now I'm diving deep into the dissertation process. Yeah. Yeah. So gosh on top of doing a daily tv sat, show yeah i said two and a half I, podcast i said before we started that I'd, I'd like your schedule but now i'm thinking no i don't think i would no. uh amazing cats she says uh i decided to stick around and i got a master's just it was just easy as that just stuck around just, yeah. got the master's <laughs> uh easy as you do yeah, yeah as you do uh you, you're like cats uh he's a bit of a musical man aren't you cats oh yeah i play but i'm not uh yeah well, i'm not um Jazz, you mentioned jazz, like jazz is really complicated, isn't it? Like the, the so yeah, I'm, I'm, the music theory behind jazz just blows my mind. So yeah. Well, me not, too. Not, I mean, it's been so long now. I was really in it when I was, you know, a teenager. And I think I just had more brain power back then. But now I just sing in the shower. That's like the extent of my nice. professional. Nice. Well, cats write songs, don't you, cat? You write songs all the time. Oh, cool. But yeah, you wouldn't say that if you heard them. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, if you can call them songs, parody songs, yeah. Oh, but, uh, they no. are good, mate. Come on, give yourself some credit. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned there, um, you, I mean, you had a few correspondent roles, didn't you? Can you tell us a bit more <laughs> about that? Yeah, so, you know, when I first started doing science communication, I um, mostly was just requested, you know, news organizations and things might request me to come on to talk about something that's big in the news. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you don't really get paid for those spots. A sure. lot of people do them to promote their books or whatever. I had no books to promote. <laughs> so I was just kind of going on TV randomly and getting my legs. And then eventually that did evolve into some actual, like, good career work. So for about a year and a half, I think one of my really first gigs was that I was the science correspondent for the Huffington Post way nice, back yeah. when they didn't have a science science page and their science was abysmal and embarrassing and you know they Deepak Chopra was like labeled as as a science writer there and wow. so they wanted to completely restructure and build out a science page that was really about evidence-based um uh, journalism and so I kind of was involved in building out that vertical and doing a 
a, a show for them that was Talk Nerdy to Me, which ultimately became my podcast, yeah. Talk Nerdy. Um, after that, I had you know quite a few really great roles. I'd say the most of my work has probably been with National Geographic. They've been a really good home to me. So I worked on a show called Explorer. Yeah. I did a show called um, Brain Games. I've done a few one-offs like Brain Surgery Live. Don't <laughs> worry, I didn't do the brain <laughs> surgery. Um, so it's been a it's been really fun because I've had the opportunity to really travel the world. Yeah. Um, doing on-camera science communication and journalism yeah is the tv stuff quite nervous do you get nervous like is it nervous like every time we're used to it now i don't get nervous for for the tv uh, stuff I feel like I actually, I'd be really a lot of it is just about getting used to the weirdness of the fact that the camera's in your face and yeah. the fact that the audience isn't actually there they're behind the lens and the kind of vibe of the set or of the crew field work is different than sure. work on set i've done both kinds of jobs a lot i've done jobs where i'm on teleprompter that's probably the most nerve-wracking because you really have to focus yeah. so that you don't flub especially when you're doing live tv but ultimately i still get the most nervous honestly if I were asked to sing on stage, I would like poop my pants right before. I like, that would make me the most nervous. But beyond that, yeah. I don't know. The more you do it, the easier I think it tends to get. Yeah. I'd get nervous about that as well, singing on stage. Because <laughs> <laughs> mainly because I'm a terrible singer. Um, but my wife's worse though, so it's okay. Good, it's uh, good to have that buffer. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, of course, I know you from mainly from the skeptics guide to the universe uh, the podcast how did that project come about because the whole thing was an entity before the podcast wasn't it oh for sure so the skeptics guide i think was really born from the three brothers steve yeah. bob and jay and their work early on um in skeptical activism where they live in new england so they they're, they're all from connecticut and they live in different towns in connecticut and of course their best friend evan is also local to their area um and back then their their friend perry deangelis and so they were doing skeptical activism work which i think ultimately led to nexus the new england conference on science and skepticism New England Skeptic Society and all this local activism. And they were one of the earliest adopters of podcasting. I don't even, has it been 16 years? It's something bananas. Yeah, that it's something, been on air. When I looked it up, it was quite a long time. A really long time. They're yeah. one of the oldest podcasts. And so um, they started it. Perry unfortunately passed away pretty soon after they continued on. They got, um, they started working with Rebecca Wall. Watson as their fifth rogue. Ultimately, she ended up leaving to move on to other things. They spent a while, just the four of them again. And I think that they had decided we need, you know, another perspective on the show. Yeah. Um, they knew of my work and they invited me, unbeknownst to me, to like guest on the show. Just I, I just thought I was coming on as a guest, like I'm coming on, you know, as a guest on your show. Yeah. Um, I think we might have done that a couple of times. And then they reached out and sort of extended the offer, like, hey, we'd love for you to do this full time. This is what it would entail. And we worked out all the logistics. It's, you know, it's a little more complicated because I live on the other side of the country from sure. them. Yeah. And um, it very quickly became a very kind of familial vibe. So I feel like I've known them my whole lives, but it's definitely different being of a different generation, a different gender, a yeah. different geographic location. Um, but we work it out. You know, we still do the show every week. I'm going to record just a couple hours after, um, after you guys and I hang up and um, we do 
live events. We do the um, skeptical extravaganza of some significance. Um, we're finally getting back on COVID, you know, put a damper on that for a while, but I think our first show sure. back is yeah. in Denver, Colorado nice. in November. And um, yeah, we, we have a lot of fun together. Yeah, it is massive, isn't it? The skeptics got It's big. Oh, I oh. mean, we're trying to grow it too. And yeah. um, we've written, you know, we wrote one book, the guys are working on a second book. I might be working on a third book with, you know, we're trying to break it up. So we're not all doing all the work yeah. every time. Um, but yeah, I think that's the idea is that not everybody listens to podcasts. No, so no. is there a way that we can reach people through different avenues? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm always encouraged to, to see the growth of these sorts of uh, people and organizations. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and now you've got the Talk Nerdy podcast, of course, where you talk to really interesting people about all manner of things. Um, and that podcast is all yours, I guess. Was it your brainchild, so to speak? Yeah. So I actually was, I started Talk Nerdy before I came to SGU. Granted, SGU is older, yeah. but they invited me to join them on the show about a year into my okay. work on Talk Nerdy. So when I started Talk Nerdy, I was actually working on a television show. It was a live daily show called Take Part Live, and it was sucking the life out of me. <laughs> and long story short, because I've talked about this in other places, um, excuse me. <clears throat> Huh. Um, I was working on this TV show and I had a very bad experience with a very, very sexist showrunner, a co-executive producer, the guy who was like, you know, in charge of the thing in yeah. the day to day. I didn't realize it was a bad experience. I mean, I knew it was bad, but I didn't realize what was going on because it was one of those very classic gaslighting experiences sure. where he was kind of knocking me down a lot, telling me that the crew didn't like me, telling me that my co-host didn't like me taking kind of um, um, responsibility away from me. And I was really second guessing my abilities and thinking I wasn't very good at my job. Ultimately through therapy and through really communing with my with my crew and, and the people that I worked with on the show, I began to understand that um, the problem wasn't me, it was him. But for a while it kind of messed me up. And so at that time I was lucky enough to have gone on a bunch of other people's podcasts. Yeah. And I actually went on Joe Rogan's show and he was like, Harry, you should just start a podcast. It's amazing. You're your own boss. You're your own producer. Nobody tells you what to do or what to say. Because, yeah. you know, he had done a lot of television and had dealt with some of his own issues. And I did. And I mean, I don't think I would have had the success that I had if I hadn't been on Rogan because he was like live in front of his insane audience. Yeah. Hey guys, would you listen to the show? If so, like hit her up. You know, so <laughs> yeah. my first episode, I had so many downloads and nice. people were reaching out to me on social media yeah. and it helped kind of catapult that. Obviously it damped down over time. And now I've got this kind of core listenership. It's much smaller than it was when it was promoted by by Joe, but it's also a core listenership of true, I think, science, scientific skeptics, people who are yeah. fascinated by the scientific process. And as you mentioned, that's what I do. I just, I interview different scientists and science writers every week about their work. Um, and so it runs the gamut from astrophysicists to, you know, chemists yeah. to neurobiologists and everything in between. Um, I, I, that, what interesting what you say that. I don't know how you feel about your channel, Cats, but my channel spe specifically as well. There is a core of of people who who watch you, and you get to know them in the comments and stuff. Mm. And yes, you've got a lot of people that follow you. Into, but you always recognise this core that are always there. I don't know if it's that same with you, Cats, or your channel. It it is it is you know. And I, I look sometimes and I see people who were there three years ago. You yeah. Know, when I started, and it, and it's it's almost like it's. It, it kind of goes a little bit beyond the subject matter. They're just interested in um, 
being part of the community that you've built, not necessarily, you know, yeah. me as a personal user, but, but like the, there's a community there and, and they interact with other people in the, in the comment section as well, which is, it's nice. It's nice to, to get that. And they'll follow, follow you from one platform to another, whether you're doing your normal stuff or something different. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to have that. Uh, Carl, yeah, it's really I, validating, I think. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, one of the, if I, if I were to comb through negative comments, other than the stuff that's just overtly sexist for the sake of being sexist, one of the things that some people say about my show is like, Kara, you know, talks a lot about her own work. She's very, you know, like it's very kind of in her interviews, it's very 50-50 as opposed to it being all about the guest. And for a handful of people who don't know the show, that like bothers them. They're like, I want to know what's going on only with your guest. And I'm like, yeah, but this is my show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like, you can do that in other places. But I think my core audience, they like that because they're following my work and yeah. they're kind of growing along with me and they're seeing how I've shifted from doing just sort of skeptical activism to now becoming a more competent psychotherapist. And, you know, I went from being just ultimately interested in neuroscience to now specializing in like end of life issue. Like it's a completely different field. And I've made this big turn into existential psychology. And I feel like a lot of my kind of core audience has been along for that ride and has been really supportive. Yeah, absolutely. There you go, Kat. So I've got the green light to talk about myself for a bit now. Uh, 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 so i i kind of blew up with a with a video of a guy trying to prove flat earth for the gate that's kind of how i became quite big and a lot of the people that watch that video all they're interested in now is when's the next guy who's got a gate with a with a trying to prove flat earth i'm not interested in your podcast i'm not interested in in this when's the gate guy back yeah (laughs) bless him Um, right. So, I mean, you, you mentioned it there. You've worked with some incredible science communicators over the years. Um, I want to know who's the best person you've worked with. And more importantly, who, in your opinion, would be worthy enough to appear on the Simon Dan podcast like yourself? <laughs> Gosh, the best. That's so hard because there's so many. And yeah. the truth is, I feel like a lot of the best ones that I've worked with are names that people might not recognize because we all know the big names. And sure. I've worked, you know, I did Bill Nye Saves the World. That was his TV show on Netflix. I was a correspondent for him. I've worked obviously with Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, for years and years and years. And he's been a, a mentor to me. But really, I think some of the best people that I've communicated with, that I've interviewed, that I've worked with, are people who you may not know. They're, you know, it's it's a professor who's in her lab working on plastic pollution or working on, you know, uh, preventive cancer research or or trying to understand climate change through uh through studying shark teeth yeah. and some of these people are i think some of the best communicators out there they've they, they have some of the most compelling stories and i've learned the most from them i cite them oftentimes but i usually you know unfortunately they don't have the kind of name recognition and right. so i think really for what i recommend for people who are interested in like They've never heard my show, but they want to hear about some of these people is to just scroll through the titles of the different episodes way back in the day, back when like the algorithms and um, Apple podcasts didn't care. We would name our episodes just numbers, (laughs) right? It was like episode three and then I might put the person's name and people were like, I don't know who the hell that is. (laughs) Like, I don't know what. And so we painstakingly went through recently and renamed every episode. So now it'll be like the end of the world with so-and-so nice. or yeah. hummingbirds with so-and-so. And so in doing that, you can, you know, you can see what we talk about, but it's always so much more than that too. Even I think if you're like, eh, I don't know, I don't know if I'm all that interested in 
uh, evolutionary theory or something. So much, so much is there that yeah. you don't even realize is oh, interesting. Hundred percent. And I, we've because we had a little episode where Katz and I talked about some of the guests we had on, and we've had some pretty big names. We've had Jim Al Khalili, haven't we? And uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Chris Lintop from the Sky at Night. And but we, some of our favorite episodes were like you say, people who aren't that well known. Uh, there was a lady called Abby Richards. She did, made a conspiracy chart, which was fascinating, wasn't it, Katz? Like a, a pyramid of, of different conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to a guy called Michael Butter. He wrote a book on conspiracies, uh, the conspiracy theories. You're absolutely right. Some of the more interesting podcasts are these people that definitely need more recognition. I agree. And if you are interested in those specific topics, right, because you're listening to this show and you you listen to it for that sort of um, skeptical bent, that like debunking things like conspiracy theories um, or flat earth or things like that, I, I do have a, a nice sampling of that on my show too. It's not the primary focus of my show, yeah. but, you know, periodically I will interview people. And I think one that comes to mind right now is this wonderful professor named Dr. Ashley Landrum, who randomly, the reason she was on my show, to be honest, we went to high school together wow. and wow. I was at the AAAS conference, which is the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, I think, or something. I don't know. Ooh, I might be wrong with that. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm at this conference. We're doing the podcast stage with SGU and she's there and she watches and then she's like, Kara, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in so long. Let's catch up. And it turns out she's now a professor, a psychology professor who specializes in why people believe in things like conspiracies wow. and she has done all this great published work in the area of flat earthers and so i had her on my show to talk about it from an academic perspective and it was just fascinating uh, that's it we've wow, been yeah. we've been talking ages haven't we cats about getting someone on for a psychology basis on why these people believe that so maybe you're gonna have to hook us up there yeah yeah i think she would be great for your yeah, show for perfect sure. perfect right we're gonna have a short break uh this is the, we've got a section here called cats curiosity this is where cats brings us a piece of science news from the week just gone uh what have you got buddy well i was scrolling through the science pages this week and a little bit of trivia caught my eye um so rather than a piece of news from the week i thought i'd find just some more little bits of trivia uh, okay. and just see whether you knew them right this, and this, this is where is- i show my ignorance because every there's 10 facts here and every fact i'm going to give you i didn't know all right so we'll see how Hang many on. how many of these you actually knew and how how like the gap like how dumb i am okay, okay. You guys this is not it's not gonna be a quiz like you did with uh ftfe that lasted about 15 minutes is it it, it's not you no. just tell me okay. when you knew it <laughs> all so, right. yeah that okay. one that one went down <laughs> <laughs> go on then uh, okay so uh, the, this is a fact i saw they're all animal related okay i did not know uh, that female ferrets when they when they come into season if they don't find a mate can die did you know that i didn't know that no nope. apparently well apparently when they're in season the hormone uh changes that occur suppress the production of red uh, red blood cells and um that can lead to death wow so number one okay uh number two uh there are per human on the planet a million ants uh, a million per i think human. i've heard something similar to that yeah. before yeah uh, i knew yeah. there'd be a lot like, thank that, e. wilson me. for that uh who sorry e.o wilson he's the ant guy and ah, there you go yeah he's an incredible writer incredible yeah just highly recommend but yes mate there's about a million in my garden so i definitely knew that was right <laughs> um bats apparently obviously we all know the insects but did you know that they can actually eat up to a thousand an hour a thousand yeah, insects no a thousand an hour shut up apparently it's yeah i know apparently apparently it's true i'm not buying uh, that this, one this is uh this is well, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the study with chimpanzees uh gorillas sorry and yeah. um 
and how they can actually speak to each other and, and individually call out. Well, apparently uh, dolphins can do the same. They can call each other by name with the mm. whistle. Scientists have recreated it. Um, Car, is that one you know? You uh... no, but it doesn't surprise me. No, they're clever, dolphins aren't are awesome. they? They're clever. Yeah, really, really good. Have you ever uh, have you ever cuddled one before? Cuddled a dolphin? Yeah. No, I don't recommend. Wow, it. they are honestly they're pure muscle. <laughs> Not surprised. Yeah. 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 Sorry, yeah, mate. Disrupting mid-flow no. there. <laughs> the, the, uh, apparently, they're quite playful. Well, obviously, we know they're quite playful. But one of the things they did, which I didn't know, is they deliberately hassle uh, pufferfish because the toxins pufferfish release are narcotic and they cause hallucinogenic effects to the dolphin, so they get no. high off the toxin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really good evidence wow. available that many animals quote do drugs in yeah. the wild. Wow, that's yeah. it's fascinating, fascinating to me. I thought it was brilliant. Incredible. Uh, some other ones, not so, I'll rattle through these now, but uh, a, a panda, when it's born, is smaller than a mouse, which I, I didn't I know. I didn't know that. That's, that's, didn't know that's that. That's quite cool. exciting. Um, now, this one I liked. I'll only give you two more. A cockroach's head, when you chop, not that I've done it, but if you <laughs> chop the head off a cockroach, the head will survive for hours after being cut off, for hours. But the body could survive for weeks. Weeks. It just what? It just runs around without a head. Well, uh, I, I don't know. I did find the citation for it. And I've lost. Uh, I had all the citations <laughs> and I forgot to email them with the points. I'm just looking yeah, at yeah, emails. Yeah, yeah he's making myself. these up. Come on. The the last one, right? That I'll give you the Dracula ant, right? So the Dracula ant has the fastest known movement of all. It's not the fastest animal. It's we've got the fastest known movement of all animals. When it closes its mandibles, it goes from zero to 200 miles per hour in 0.000015 seconds, which is an acceleration of nearly 6 million meters per second. I, I actually did know that because I did once you? did a video called the top five fastest animals in the world. And it was number one. Uh, I did know that. It's quick, isn't it? Yeah, quick. yeah, yeah. It was, I've, I had a video of it and they slowed it down and it's like a really quick, like uh, almost like a bear trap closing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well done, mate. Thanks for that. So you know, every day's a school day. We're learning. We're learning as we listen. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Uh, right. So, Kara, uh, uh, Katz, and I, uh, we're kind of like the skeptics' guide to the universe of YouTube. We combat a lot of the conspiracy theories floating around. How successful would you say the skeptics' guide has been in promoting skeptical thinking and showing people how to spot that sort of stuff? Right. I have no idea what metric I would possibly use. <laughs> it's to tough, isn't it? Uh, it, it kind of, it kind of uh, ties into another question, which is like, how much have you, have people come up to you and said, oh, you've really helped me? Right. Uh, you know, how have you had much of that sort of stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, we get so many emails a day and we, you know, try to read them all, you know, recommend if you're going to send an email, don't make it 10 pages long. <laughs> yeah. I'm less likely to read that kind of email. But yeah, we get we get tons of emails all the time. And the ones that are obviously the most meaningful to us are the ones that are like, I grew up in this household and I was never vaccinated as a child. And the minute I turned 18, because of listening to you, I went out and I was able to make sure that I was protecting myself or, yeah. you know, I used to believe in whatever. And then I, I slowly kind of came to understand that, um, that that was, uh, you know, pseudoscience or whatever. And it really changed my life. And, you know, these are, I love the ones where it's like, you inspired me to go to school and study something yes. or, yeah. you know, to, to really, um, 
focus my attention on some big scientific problem that I'm trying to solve. Um, so I do think, yeah, at the individual level, we see a lot of change. My hope is that at the societal level, yeah. collectively, so it's not just the SGU, it's not just Talk Nerdy, it's not just the work that I do, but that collectively as a movement, we are moving the needle. Yeah. I think my concern is that the... Um, people that are in positions of political power and who have had a voice for quite some time have really shifted the zeitgeist in a direction that's quite dangerous. And I'm not saying we haven't been here before, yeah. and I'm not saying that there haven't been very good examples of time when we overcame, but I do think that societally we're in a different place than at least I was when I started this work. And I think that the guys might would agree with that because they started this work. You yeah. Know, longer I'd, ago I'd agree um, with that as well. and that's a that's a big kind of sisyphean task to fight against this sort of era of fake news era of um a lack of respect for scientific authority um a lack of understanding of critical thinking i mean these are big hurdles to overcome yeah that, that's a good one the lack of the respect of uh, of the scientific mm -hmm. authority definitely and um, you you mentioned oh, it's good getting the ones that people say oh I've gone to study this and study that because of what I've had some lovely ones over the last year especially of people who are in really difficult having really difficult times they're really struggling because of the pandemic and it's just a thanks just to say look your videos have been there and 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 helped me you know get through this year and those those are the ones where you just think oh mm -hmm. you know what I was having a bad week this week you know, I didn't think I was doing as well as I was. And you get those sort of emails, you think it's definitely worth it, 100%. I agree. And, you know, because of my shift too from neuroscience as a more wet lab approach, like I used to work with mice and birds, and now I do psychotherapy with people. And my dissertation is about medical aid in dying and the wow. experience of electing to utilize medical aid in dying. I work with a lot of people who have cancer, people who are dealing with end of life issues. And so for me, when I get the feedback, that has a more mental health perspective. Like I was in a bad way and yeah. this kept me okay. Or, or because of you and your openness to reduce the stigma around your own experience with depression or with your patients or whatever, I finally went out and I saw somebody, I finally went out and I got medicated. You know, these are the kinds of things that to me, give me all the feels yeah. because they're so fundamentally, um, um, beneficent, yeah. you know, they, they really fundamentally, I think, affect people's lives. And yes, I do think coming around to the scientific method is earth shattering. It's paradigm shifting, but getting yourself out of some of your darkest moments so that you can see the light is kind of the first step for many people to being able to really kind of suck the marrow out of life. Absolutely. And, and some of those people aren't, aren't they even necessarily, you know, conspiracy conspiratorial mindset, you know, they might just be having a bad year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Some people um, are already, you know, they're already skeptics. They're already yeah. into this stuff, but then they also got to hear, you know, some conversation about mental health and say, maybe I need to take a look at myself and, and maybe it's time. Yeah. And, um, and then their lives are changed. I mean, I had the same experience when I finally went on medication and I was like, Oh my God, I could have felt like this in decade ago <laughs> you know like why did i wait so long and i hear that um i hear that you know that kind of um reiterated quite often and that's i think those are the ones that affect me the yeah, most absolutely what about you cats do you get much much of those sorts of messages 
Um, not a not not a great deal. Um, I get a lot of messages, people throwing me links. Take a look at this. Take a look at that. But yeah, yeah, uh, that tends yeah. to be tends to be the main ones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, flat, as we've talked, flat Earth is our bread and butter. Uh, Cats and I, we work on it all the time. How much of experience have you had with those guys? I mean, direct experience, almost none. Obviously, okay. I've watched the documentaries and I've, yeah. you know, read a lot of the literature. Like I said, I had um, Dr. Landrum on to talk about her experience going to like flat earth conferences and interviewing some of these people and then doing some psychology work in that area. And we've obviously talked about it on the Skeptics Guide quite a bit. Um, I do think it's important, clearly, I think that the work to try and understand the motivations of people who are down a rabbit hole, like QAnon conspiracy theorists, yeah. like um, uh, flat earthers, and I think also similarly to QAnon, people who kind of believe in this new world order, and that underlies a lot of these more kind of politically motivated conspiracy theories, like the Alex Jones type conspiracy theories. Um, I think it's fundamentally important to understand how people can fall into those traps. And um, I think who the powers that be who are pushing the propaganda and what their motivation really is. But I tend to be the person on the show who doesn't focus as much on what I would consider more like fringe pseudoscience, you know, the Bigfoots of the world. Like the guys are really into this. And I think that's how the SGU was started. And Evan still often, you'll hear him doing stories on that on the show. Yeah. But I tend to look at like very, very mainstream, like poor, um, you know, uh, or ineffective or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like science journalism that doesn't actually capture yeah. and might be misleading okay. or understanding why it is that climate denial exists, like things that are much more kind of to the core of evidence-based policy. Um, so because I think they're all connected and I think oh, understanding absolutely. why people believe in flat earth yeah. helps us understand why people don't believe in climate change because they are really connected. But I think I find myself more compelled to focus on something like climate change because I find it to be more of an existential threat to me. Oh, completely. Absolutely. If that makes sense. Uh, it does make sense, but I'm just picturing the flat earthers now listening going, did she just call us fringe? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think that that's... Um, so you have a lot of flat earthers who actually listen to your show? Uh, well, there's certainly a lot that watch the YouTube channel. Definitely. Oh. Uh, so I'm about to get some hate mail. <laughs> yeah, you can tell by the comments that, are, that we get on our channel uh, that they definitely watch. Uh, right. I mean, right. you mentioned your, you said your friend went to one of the conferences. How did she find that? I think that she, you know, I think she knew what she was walking into. She had done her research, you yeah. know? And so it like, she didn't go in like overwhelmed or surprised. I think she, she really knew what the core beliefs were. And she was just, again, more interested in the psychological perspective yeah. of how do people get to the place where this is what they believe? What are their motivations? Is this just about cognitive dissonance? Is this just about, you know, confirmation bias and all these core psychological, um, uh biases that we study um I, I tend to take the view that i'm less interested in the how do i word this I was, for example last night i was taking a break from working on my dissertation and i yeah. was watching the i think it's an hbo documentary or cinemax documentary about um the heaven's gate cult okay and you know this was the one i don't know if you guys followed this that thought they were going to go to heaven on hale bob's yeah. comet they were going to leave their earthly bodies behind and they they engaged in a mass death by suicide in the 90s and this cult had been around since the 70s and it really followed the motivations and the 
understandings of the people. And this was quite a sad case because I do think there was some delusion in the leader. And ultimately it was just this cult mentality that kind of perpetuated itself. But when we look at some of these larger conspiracies like climate denial, like anti-vax rhetoric, we do find that the core, it's not so much the people that believe in them, but the people that are pushing the rhetoric have a, a, a motivation. Yeah. Often it's a financial motivation <clears throat> yep. or a political power motivation. And I'm really interested in exposing and uncovering that agenda from those nefarious actors than I am blaming the victims who often fall into their trap because it solves a problem for them, whether it makes the world a less complicated place, whether it gives them <clears throat> hope during a time of despair and suffering. You know, I, that to me is much easier to understand, but the nefarious kind of pushes that are based on greed and power and money are the things that really boil my blood. I think we can really appreciate that because we've talked about that before, Katz and I, and, and hmm. whenever we address videos by Flat Earthers, we always say we're addressing the audience of these people. We're not trying to change the mind of the people doing the videos. We're addressing the audience who may or may not be on the fence or, yeah. or you know, they've been interested in a why or, or whatever. Because we know we're not going to change the minds of the people making the videos because they're in it for, like you say, financial, notoriety, whatever. Um, <clears throat> it's just interesting. I mean, the, the, I mentioned the conferences because Katz and I are like public enemy number one and two for Flat Earthers. I just wonder what would happen if you and I cat showed up at a conference. What what would go down? <laughs> so you haven't done it yet. You no. haven't like well, gone and there's only been one in the UK. Okay. Um, and that was in the Midlands, wasn't it, Cat? Somewhere. I think I think only about what was it? Six people turned up. Or yeah, not many or? people turned up. So I mean, if we went anywhere, it would have to be an American one. I think if we went because that's you know the Mark Sargent's your Eric base, even though yeah, not they all oh, don't no. get on. We're but... <laughs> Um, we're the ones housing at the all of the insanity. Oh, it would, it would yeah, be you know, so much fun. <laughs> I don't think I would enjoy it. So I, because I've been doing journalism for so long, there is a, always a component that I find myself, not always, but periodically I'll find myself, especially when I was doing early days of brain games and things like that, where you have to do these quote unquote person on the street interviews and yeah, you yeah. have to just grab people and ask them questions. And I hate those that <laughs> they make me so uncomfortable. I feel like it's the opposite of informed consent. Yeah. It's everything I don't do as a therapist. I'll be the same. And so often I rely on my producers to be like, you need to pre-screen or go pull or whatever. I'm not just going to walk up to somebody and start talking to them that sort of gotcha journalism makes me brutally uncomfortable so i don't yeah. think i would enjoy going to a conference and being like you know <laughs> well, <laughs> what do you well, have to say about that i would be well, like hiding in the corner oh well we've spent three well we spent the best part of three years now combating these guys and they know us very well and i <laughs> yeah. i i don't think i don't think they'd let us in the door yeah maybe even, you'd have even to wear like the ticket. glasses with the mustache yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that is a brilliant idea. That would make a great right, cats. We're going undercover at a flat Earth conference in disguise. It's happening. I'll grow me hair. It's happening. People don't think I can, but I, I I'll grow it. I'll have it neck length. Oh, that is a great. Length. Why have I never thought of that before? That's a great idea. That would make a great great video. Oh dear, we're, we're doing it. Um, I mean, you talked about the the mainstream stuff there. Um, do you think as the years have gone by? That the amount of misinformation out there is increasing and becoming more accessible well accessibility absolutely yeah. i mean i think there's always been misinformation the problem is that the pockets of individuals who um who uh, 
attached to it or the individuals that are spewing it, they've always had a limit in how many people they could reach, right? Pre-internet, yeah. um, obviously you could reach people through literature and through publication, the internet obviously completely changed the game. So now, um, and, and as the internet evolved, you know, going from early chat rooms where only people who had the savvy to like log into IRC and find those sort of chat rooms and find their people. And then it became 4chan and 8chan and Reddit and, you know, all of these different places. And, um, and now, I mean, there are like Facebook, like mainstream social media outlets have groups yeah. dedicated with thousands of members. And I think that's, part of the problem is that if anything is um um uniquely <laughs> anti normative and oftentimes that can be a very good thing because yeah. people with unique interests get to find each other but when there's distrust in consensus and i think that's the really hard part i get it when people have an anti-establishmentarianism kind of stance i get it when people are afraid of authority um there's enough historical reason for that especially in marginalized groups especially in countries that have had authoritarian governments um or or countries for in which it's sort of a part of the ethos of the people to be inherently, you know, distrustful of, of that. And I get it. I have that streak. I think mm. it's what helps me be a good skeptic and scientist, but what ends up happening is when you actually start to question consensus and question expertise yeah. and believe that there's some sort of nefarious underbelly, some sort of uh, gross conspiracy in which all of these experts have decided to, to holistically dupe everybody else. But your own research, <laughs> you know, your own Google skills yeah. are more um, compelling and more based in fact than somebody who spent 30 years in a field publishing among their peers, that's when things start to become really problematic. And I think that specific type of rhetoric didn't exist before the internet. No. You had the town crank, sure, <laughs> or you had the person who was writing their own manifestos, but you didn't have the ability for those individuals to find like-minded people and then to sort of have this negative feedback loop where it grows and grows and grows. And also this ability that we see in cult and uh, in, in kind of cult science and cult sociology, where there's a systematic um, disconnect from greater society. So cutting off ties with family members, cutting off ties, yeah. you know, only looking at certain news sources and really saying, you know, that is other, that is dangerous. So we're only going to look at our own literature. That's, I think, where things start to really spin out of control. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the do your own research crowd are are massive now. Uh, and we, I did, uh, I focused on a guy here in the UK who was um, anti-COVID vaccine, uh, wrote to his MP, tried to get his MP criminally charged, went to Westminster, um, did a did like a, a speech at Westminster on the day that we kind of dropped all the uh, lockdown uh, restrictions. Mm. And I, when I checked him out on Facebook, his Facebook page had 22,000 followers. And the overall emotion I got was sadness because yeah, that's 22,000 people who are following this guy. And like you say, his Google skills, his research skills are apparently better than all the experts out there. Um, and like I say, it's, it was just sadness, really, because, you know, I wanted to feel angry, but 22,000 people. 
No, it's just, it's, it's bananas. I mean, we just had this massive IPCC report come out. It's what I'm going to be, you know, reporting on, on the SGU later today. And I'm posting all about it. So on my social media, especially uh, my Twitter and my Facebook, I'm much more engaged in Twitter because Facebook, gosh, Um, but (laughs) but there's just something Twitter suits me better. But I I do, I share five different science stories a day, every day. I, I don't get paid for this. I do this as part of kind of my own activism work that I want to just put out what I think is good science reporting so that people can stay updated on, on what's interesting, what's happening in the nice. world. Yeah. You know, not stuff I write. I, I pull from a feed reader. Yeah. Um, and so today I'm really focused on IPC today and tomorrow because so many people have done really good write-ups and I want to share them all. Um, and the feedback on some of these posts, you know, I, I there's the feedback that I'm totally agreeing with and that I'm I'm feeling all the feels about like, man, my climate anxiety is, you know, through the roof today. It's like, yeah, I feel you, you know, and this is, this is a legitimate concern, but then I'm getting kind of just some really wacky responses that are just, you know, steeped in denialism. And it's like, how, this is literally thousands of reports, you know, and, and Mm. hundreds of scientists working together to say, let's comb through all of the research. Let's look at every single outcome measure and let's say okay this kind of contradicts this so maybe we'll take those away but we'll only look at the ones that are really solid where we've got a lot of reinforcing literature and evidence and and once we get to the core of that we're going to publish what they say what these models look like and what we're facing in the future and people go nah don't buy it (laughs) it's like what more at a certain point it's like what more do you need nothing you can't just give somebody more information and hope that that will change their mind because their head is already full of misinformation. It's gone. Yeah. 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 That the, it certainly is a worry, uh, that the amount of people that, that are like that definitely. And as I said, we'd be very, very keen to talk more uh, about the psychology of it all and, and, uh, how these people get into these sorts of, uh, head spaces. Uh, but let's lighten, lighten the mood a little bit. We're going to play the scientist game. So, this is a game. It's a, br- it's a brand new game. You're lucky you're not playing Guess the Conspiracy. This was our old game. Uh, that's where Katz and I created a conspiracy, and there was a real one in there, and you had to guess the real one. Not anymore. Oof, I now, feel like I'd be better at that. You probably would be good at that, but now you're facing off against Katz. It's you versus Katz. Now, he's 2-1 up. So what happens is I will start reading some facts about a scientist in chronological order, and the first person to correctly guess the scientist wins the point. Happy? Gonna be so bad at this. Well, I don't know. I think you might be good at this one. So Katz is two one up. Um, so don't please don't lose and let him get big headed. (laughs) Uh so I'm gonna play I'm now gonna play my cool music, which I completely didn't play last week. Here we go. Okay. First fact. Born in nineteen forty one in Nairobi, Kenya. Moved to England in 1949. Obtained a bachelor's in zoology in 1962. Obtained a master's and doctorate in zoology in 1966. These were both from Oxford. Returned to Oxford to lecture biology in 1970. In 1976, published his first book, the selfish gene. Oh, Richard oh. Dawkins. Oh, she's got it. She's got it. Well done. 
Well done. Gomez was born in Nairobi? Yeah, yeah. That threw me that. I thought that was going to give that away straight away. I was like, born in Nairobi. Who knows someone that's born in Nairobi and moved to England? Has to be Dawkins. Has to, I thought you'd get Well, us. and of course, my bias was that he was actually, you know, Kenyan. Yeah. Not just that he was colonial. And yeah. so I was this whole time thinking of a, a black scientist. Well, there you and go. And so then selfish gene. There you go. Yeah, selfish yeah. genes. Yeah. You were just quick off the mark. 2-2. Two, two. Oh. oh, mate, come on. I would have just another second and a half. Another second, would, you'd have got it. Yeah. I'm getting, in my old age, my reactions are, are getting there. And you're slowing down. I'm going to blame on that. Brilliant. Well done. Well done. Congratulations to all. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I say this all the time, but honestly, we could carry on talking about this sort of stuff for a long, long, long time. Yeah. Um, we can find you. So uh, we'll put everything in, in your link in the description, but your Twitter is? My name, at Kara your Santa name? Maria. Perfect. Please, everyone, check out the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. It is brilliant, as well as the Talk Nerdy podcast. Um, that's it. We're done. Next week, cats, we have got one half of the infinite monkey cage uh presenting team mr robin ince so that should be a good one uh yeah, got, looking forward to that yeah should be fun because he was a comedian first wasn't he did you know he's in the office did you know that i did not know yeah he was in the office he was in the no. office yeah yeah right. we'll talk we'll talk more about that but don't worry anyway we're done have a great week uh thanks very much for listening and we'll see you soon Bye bye <laughs>